All right, this is our goal this morning. We are going to finish the letter of 1 John, which to achieve that, so we got to cover two chapters today. So to achieve that means that we're going to read through it all so that we will get through all of the text and we'll back up and talk about some of the, of the major points. Um, and the reason why to chew off you know, to bite off so much at the same time is there really is a lot of repetition in what John is saying. Um, he continues to bring up the same ideas. So a lot of these we don't have to sit in fresh. So we're going to cover that this morning. But we need to back up a little bit. We'll have a short introduction. So beginning in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 22, I'll just back up and look at a couple of ideas as we run in through the rest of the letter. So it says, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. So as we talk about this word do, I brought it up last week, this is the whole idea of what we make. And not only what we are making in our lives, but what we are making of other people's lives as we invest in others. And I used the imagery last week of just you know being in that kitchen and baking like a loaf of bread or something where Jesus is the real chef and he's telling us what ingredients to put in at what time and we're to be participating in, uh, in the making of the loaf, so to say. So it's the same thing in our relationship with him. He is inviting us to have a relationship with him. And this is ultimately what John is conveying. It's ultimately what the entire word of God is conveying, is that there is a being who has created us. And he's not looking for us to have these actions and performance and uh, to have our relationship with him based on those metrics. John is ultimately writing to the church in Ephesus. He's writing to us today so that we would know exactly who God is. Who is Jesus the Christ as the Son of God? What is it that he's done? And John's made it apparent. I want, I want your joy in your relationship with God to be its fullest every single day. Yet we all have wars, struggles, fights, conflicts, desires that are contrary to the nature and character of God. And he brings up this whole idea, God is light, and those things that are dark, his light is what comes rushing into us. That as we're struggling, as we're fighting, we come to him in confession. We, are, we stand in agreement with who he is. As he's revealed himself, as he's exposed his nature, his character, his heart to us, his love for us, we're left in this position of we're just responding to him in, in the things that we choose to do day in and day out. So I want to begin with this whole idea is that we, do, we are to do those things that are pleasing to God. Requires us to understand what it is that does please him. And then to realize and understand it is never within our own strength that we go about performing and getting the attaboy and the girl from God. God, help me. I want to make of my life what you created me for. I want to influence the lives of others 
for what you've created them for, not who I want them to be to serve my interests. And ultimately, God, I realize you were my maker. You've made my life. You've all the, all the works that you have for me to do, you've communicated to me. Those things have already been planned out beforehand. And as I walk with you in your light and in your love, these things are going to be accomplished in my life. And that's where joy just overwhelms our souls. When we stop the um, performance relationship with God, that's when joy wells up. That's when freedom truly is experienced in that relationship. Now, sit in our human relationships, spouses, parents, and children, whether it's with friends. If you know somebody likes you or loves you and cares for you, you are looking for that investment from them in your life, right? And when you don't feel that from them, how do you respond? Usually in like manner. When somebody hurts me, I'm going to withdraw, I'm going to pull away, I'm going to lash out and attempt to hurt back. And ultimately what the word of God is attempting to communicate to us from Genesis to Revelation is God is revealing his love to us. In our relationship with God, he is never off. Everything that he has ever done for us and to us is always, by definition, an expression of his love. Whether he's placed you into suffering, whether he's placed you into blessing, everything that he leads us in and the plans and purposes that he has for our lives is an expression of his love. Now, the reality is, as we sit in many of those life experiences and look at God and says, that's not very loving. I'm in pain right now. Take this pain away. This stinks. What are you doing? Where are you? Wake up. Haven't you heard my prayers? You tell me that you're going to give me what I ask of you. I'm asking for something very different than what I'm experiencing right now. You know, this process of this relationship with him is for him to correct our hearts. Because he's not the one who's off. I'm the one who's off. And then as we interact with other human beings, it's very different. Often we're interacting with our brothers and sisters, our spouses, our kids, and the other person is off. But they may be off in some way, but how I'm responding to them is just as off as they are off. So all of this is a process of continuing to keep our eyes on the nature and character of God, attempting to do those things that are pleasing to him. God, how, how can I be pleasing to you right now in this moment? How can I be pleasing to you this afternoon as I spend time with my family? How can I be pleasing to you as I do my job Monday through Friday? This is what pleases you, God. What pleases you with what I'm doing with my time? What pleases you with what I'm doing with my ears and my eyes? And asking God the question and sitting in that position, it's not my self-effort that is going to please you. He tells us what pleases him. And ultimately, that's having faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going we're gonna to hit this, John hits, is going to hit this straight on a couple of times as we go through this. There's, there's no out here. What is pleasing to God is to trust who Jesus is. It's to obey him, it's to love him, it's to respond to him, it's to sit with him, it's to ask him questions, it's to be challenged by him. It's, it's to challenge him. 
Don't be, don't be afraid to ask God challenging questions. Don't be afraid to ask God why. Don't wag your finger at him and say, why, God? But it's, God, why? I trust you, but give me the understanding that I need to process through this current life experience. I wanted just these ideas of that which we do. You know, this, this whole focus is on relationship, not on the rituals that we perform. The command that we have is to believe on the name of Jesus. That we love one another. And ultimately, again, we're looking at his love for us as he reveals that. How he loves us is how he loves others. So that gives me the direction to, uh, to live those things out. So now verse 24 of chapter 3. So he who keeps his commandments abides in him. Again, this is why I'm harping on this. This isn't we're keeping ourselves. All of this is in relationship with him and Jesus in us. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Hold your place there. Turn back just a couple of pages to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. This is uh, this whole idea that the Almighty God, the Spirit of God, has been given to us and dwells within us. We are told here that His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through what? Through the knowledge of Him. It's not just head knowledge. This is relationship knowledge of Him who called us by glory in virtue, by which, so through the knowledge of him, we have been given, has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers, sharers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Very powerful declaration and John's going to bring out a lot of these ideas as we complete the letter this morning. Everything that we need to have a relationship with God, everything that we need to be obedient to him, everything that we need to love him, everything that we need to, uh, to act out uh, his will in a way that is pleasing to him in the lives of others, his divine power, the Holy Spirit, has given to us all things that are necessary for this life of godliness. And it is all rooted in the understanding, both in mind and in practice, of who Jesus is. So, now we're going to read chapters 4 and 5, and then we'll back up. Beloved, do not believe every spirit... But test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world. 
You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed that love, the love that God has for us, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. 
And these three are one, and there are three that bear witness on earth, the spirit of the water and the blood, and these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he testified of his son. He who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. Confused? Good, me too. Verse 18, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies And I'm going to give the translation here where it says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. There's only one word in the Greek, and it's the word in, which means the whole world lies in the wicked one. And I bring that up because of this statement. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. We are in him who is true. We are no longer in this world. We are no longer in the devil. We are in Jesus through faith in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. All right. So backing up to chapter 4. He begins with this whole idea, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And we've been told, he just told us that we have been given the spirit of God. The spirit of God, when you sit in, especially in the gospel of John, in you know, chapters 14 through 17, there's a lot of definition about who the Holy Spirit is in our relationship with him, that he is another helper. Just like Jesus Christ was sent by the Father to come in human flesh for a very specific purpose, to die for the sins of humanity, to rise again, to free us from our sins because he loves us. 
When Jesus ascended to heaven, we are told that the Father and the Son have sent the Spirit to dwell within us. And he is another helper, another of the same kind, because he is the same kind of Jesus. In different passages, it's very clear. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. He is not an it. Um, he, has, he is a person. He has emotion. He has a mind. He's not just this force that emanates from God. He is one of the persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. So, Almighty God dwells in us. Now, when we sit in this exhortation, but we need to test the spirits. So, not everything that we hear is sourced by the Holy Spirit. It's not sourced from the mind and the heart of God. So not only are we told that the devil and demons and there's these unclean spirits, these creations of God that have rebelled against God, that attempt to influence us away from God, you have that kind of spiritual plane. You also have the spirits of just bad men and women whose spirits are off, who are teaching lies. And then we have our own spirits to deal with that we will often lie to ourselves and convince ourselves of things that are not true about ourselves, about other people, and about God. So therefore, the exhortation that we have in the Word of God from beginning to end is to think. Our culture tells us to regurgitate. God tells us to reason. My, my entire education, and again, there's, there's, there's bright spots in education, whether it's you know, elementary, junior high, high school, college, where you are taught to reason and you're taught to process and you're taught to be free thinking and creative. But for the most part, it was, this is what I'm telling you as the teacher. This is what the textbook is telling you. Now I want you to regurgitate what you've been told. We sit in, whether it's the news cycle, whether it's uh, religious teachings, often we are told to just parrot and repeat and to regurgitate whatever it is that we've consumed. Again, there's, there's many imagery, images that we have in the Word of God that we are, to, we are to eat it. We are to consume it. The word for meditate in the Old Testament is the word to ruminate. So cows have multiple stomachs, and they, they eat the grass, and then they barf it back up into their mouth, and they chew the cud, and they swallow it again. It's gross because that's not what we do, but that's the imagery that the Bible has. So when it comes to our life, we're not just supposed to be going down the path of life following Jesus without thinking. Because as we travel that course, there are going to come ideas from people that we love and respect that are not sourced from the heart of God. And we see this simply, the example, you know, Peter, well, J James and John, they're called the sons of thunder. They're traveling through Samaria. The Samaritans, Jesus is set to go to Jerusalem. The Samaritan village won't let them stay there because they're on their way to Jerusalem. And James and John come to Jesus. Can we call down fire from heaven? Let's just smoke them. Let's kill them all. John. This is, this is John that we're reading about earlier in his life, wanted to call down fire from heaven to kill men, women, and children simply because this village said, Jesus, you can't sleep here tonight. So bring that into today. You have multiple times where your heart is murderous. Your heart is adulterous. Your heart is covetous. It is desiring things. Your heart is bound in a lie. I have, I have responded 
to people in life believing that my perspective was true and my perspective was completely false. It had nothing to do with reality. It was just my narrow perspective. I latched onto this one idea in this circumstance, and this is what I'm running with. And then you get down the road, and you turn around and look, and it's like, I was wrong. But this is the idea that he, John is trying to bring up in our relationship with one another, our relationship with people within the body of Christ. There are people here who will innocently and intentionally lead you away from Christ if you just regurgitate what they say. People who we love, people who we respect, people who we adore, people who are well-intentioned, some people who are very malicious, they will say something that will sound right and will run with it without having any reason. But the Bible, here we are being encouraged, and we are encouraged always. Think. And God, my mind is broken. I don't, have your, I don't have the right perspectives. I don't have every single piece of information that I need here. So God, through your spirit, give me understanding. Help me to see what I need to see, what I need to understand. Is this idea from you? And this is where, this is, this is in all things in the word of God. Think. If I thought before I did, there'd probably be a lot less damage that I'd cause in my life and the lives of others and a lot less grief in my relationship with God. I would be filled with a lot more joy and a lot more praise, a lot more love for God, a lot more love for other people if I just slowed down said, God, is that really your heart? Is that really what your word says? Is that really what you want me to do? Is that really what you want me to say? What I'm thinking about this person, God, I know that it's off, but I'm having really a lot of fun just beating them up in my mind. You know, we got to sit in reason and then the test and the 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 whole exhortation the reason behind that is there's all these other voices false prophets those who go out of the church those who are even in the church the devil himself the world system there are all these competing voices and we all need to slow down and test the spirit, test every spirit. God, is that you, yes or no? And because God is love, because he loves us, he's revealed his love to us ultimately through his action of creation, through his action of sending his son. This is uh, something that this word manifested. It's, it's the word revealed. We get to know and understand how to respond, what to do in life through knowing God. And the only way, the, the foundation and the, the process of him making us to be new men and new women revolves around the radical truth that God is love. And again, that does mean 
and all of his behaviors, God is never without love. So when you sit in the Old Testament and God tells his children to go in and wipe out every man, woman, child, and animal in certain communities, which you see in the Old Testament, and there's very specific reasons God gave these people groups the space to repent, and if these people groups remained around his children, they would influence them away from the true God and back into idolatry, and that is exactly what happened. But when God gave that order, you can't sit in judgment of God and say God was wrong, God was harsh, God was evil. You have to see it through the lens that God is always love. So now that you have that definition, that's when you have to sit there and reason through, well, why? What else has he re uh, revealed? What, is, what other information is going on? What were these communities doing? I brought up this idea of relationships earlier and at the very end where he tells us to flee from idolatry, to not latch on to idols. And in... in he takes a man, the man's name is Hosea in the Old Testament, and he tells Hosea, I want you to go marry a woman who is a harlot. And that woman, when you marry her, she is going to repeatedly step outside of the bounds of marriage. And you are going to repeatedly go and get her and bring her back home. And God is using Hosea and again, think about this. This is God commanding. This isn't just a story. God really commanded a man to go and marry that woman, Gomer. And God tells us that every single human being, you and I in our relationship with God, we're Gomer. All of us have committed spiritual adultery. All of us have abandoned that covenant relationship with God and latched on to idols latched on to and an idol is anything that we are placing in that position that only God is to fulfill and God is revealing his love for the nation of Israel he is revealing his love for us through this life picture and a very long life picture of Hosea's relationship with his wife God repeatedly saying I love you Gomer repeatedly doing the wrong thing. But Hosea is to be an image of God that God's love was never lost for Gomer. Hosea's love was never lost for Gomer. God's love is never lost for the nation of Israel. God's love is never lost for us. And this is where the freedom comes from. We're no longer bound by performance. God's love for me and for you will never change. It's eternal. It's and our response to that love is wrapped up in our relationship with his son. And how we respond daily is wrapped up through understanding his love so that we can process through the very difficult relationships that we have with other people. Because you and I, we rub each other wrong. There's not a single other human being who you are in full agreement with. There's not a single other human being in this world that you want to spend all of your time with. 
as spouses, we need breaks from each other so that we don't drive each other nuts. You know, but just even with my, I have a great relationship with Julie. But she drives me nuts sometimes. And I drive her nuts sometimes. I don't understand what she's thinking, why she's saying that, why she's doing that. I have a different perspective. And that doesn't mean that I'm correct. And that doesn't mean that she's correct. But the relationships, they're difficult. They're challenging. But when I understand that what she is doing, she is attempting to love me as a spouse, that I need to respond to her through that lens. I need to see, like, the decision-making that she's going through. She doesn't wake up in the morning and say, gee, I wonder how I could stick it to Blake today. But sometimes, by what she does or by what she doesn't do, you know, she didn't give me the affirmation that I needed in the moment, my brain could sit there and, gee, I bet Julie woke up today and just thought, how can I just stick it to Blake? And that's what she chose to do. And I sit in this lie, and I'm sitting in the wrong spirit. And we all do this to one another. But again, the, the harp on this whole subject matter is that what frees us from those thought patterns is knowing and understanding the love of God. Because when you know that God unconditionally and continually loves you, he will give you the strength and the courage and the endurance and the conversation and the wisdom to process through all those other relationships that can be really painful. And ultimately, the joy that we have, even if I am off with Julie, there can be a a lack of joy in the circumstance But if I am in right relationship and right step with the Lord, even as we're trying to figure each other out, uh, if I am in right relationship with the Lord, the joy really doesn't fully dissipate because the Lord is there and I know him and I understand him. I know his love for me. I know his love for Julie. I know what he's exhorted me to do as spouse. And again, this is just one definition of relationship. But the whole idea that John has continually brought up over and over again is this is who God is. And we have never seen him, yet he has manifested and revealed his nature, his character, his love for us. John's saying, I saw God in the flesh. I handled him. I heard him. I fellowshiped with him. I want you to have the same relationship with him. So this God that you can't see, how can you really have a personal, intimate, abiding, obedient, loving, growing, maturing relationship with God when you hate the human beings that are right before you. If you hate your brother and sister, whether it's in the church or whether it's your brother and sister in humanity, there's something wrong in your mind and in your heart. When I think violence, there's something wrong inside of me. I can despise people's actions. I can despise my own actions. But when hatred comes out, when anger is just unleashed, you know, there's a difference between wrath, righteous wrath, and 
unrighteous anger of God. We are told in the Old Testament that the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. My anger at myself, my anger at you, my anger at society will never bring about God's righteousness. The only thing that brings about God's righteousness is faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That's the only thing that brings right. Right thought, right words, right heart, right actions is solely based in who God is. And this is the idea that John is bringing up. Now, spend a lot of time in regards to not believing every spirit and testing the spirit. A lot of that revolves around words, and we have a perfect case study in chapter 5, where it says that in chapter 5, verse 6, it says, this is he, so Jesus, came by water and blood. The simple imagery of water and blood is water is in reference to birth. So you think of a child in the womb in the amniotic sac. The water there associated with birth that is also linked to baptism, to, to water, to cleansing, to uh, renewal and washing. All those ideas are wrapped up in the word water. And the word blood revolves around death, sacrifice. We are told that life is in the blood. Um, just stay there. I'm going to read this out of Ezekiel real quick because this gives the imagery. Ezekiel says, well, this is God speaking through Ezekiel. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. If you know the history of Israel, Ezekiel is writing at a time when God has used the nation of Babylon to violently discipline the nation of Israel where they have been conquered. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple has been destroyed. They have been removed to the nation of Babylon. Ezekiel is in Babylon speaking to these people. God is saying, I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. He goes on and he says, Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. You will loathe yourself in your own sight. What Jesus has done through coming as a human, coming by water, giving us the imagery of baptism, dying for our sins, this is, this, is the, this is what is bearing testimony. It's speaking witness in regards to who Jesus is. So he came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And in this, the Spirit... So the spirit who's been given to us, God himself who dwells within us, who's enabling us to test the spirits, to know what is true, to know what is false. The spirit who bears witness because the spirit is truth. Verse 7, here's, here's the test. It says, there are three that bear witness. 
and from the word in heaven, and jump down to verse 8 to where it says, the spirit, the water, and the blood, those words have all been inserted into your Bible. So I have the New King James translation. It says there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one, and there are three that bear witness in the earth. Those words we can put to the test. And we know from roughly four, five hundred, the year of the Lord, A.D., four hundred, five hundred is the first time that these words show up in any writing. And they don't show up in any biblical text. They show up in the writings of church, of teachers, of authors of the time where these words are quoted in their writings um, in North Africa and in Spain. And then you flow through history. So when it comes to Greek uh, manuscripts that we have, the first manuscript in Greek that that sentence shows up in the Bible is not till roughly the 14th century. The first time that it shows up in an old Latin manuscript, so it's roughly 600 AD in the area of Spain. The first time that it shows up in the Vulgate is roughly 800 AD, same place, same area. You can go back into, so all the ancient Greek manuscripts, all the ancient early church fathers that are identified, you know, they're quoting the Bible, they're quoting this specific passage. Those words are missing until very, very late in history. And then you can follow out as Bibles begin to be translated. So when Luther does his translation, Luther doesn't quote these words in his original translation. Later editors to Luther's translation add these words. And you can, there are letters of scholars writing back and forth, arguing whether or not to include this sentence. It's called John's comma. Now, when you sit in this text where it says, there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word who is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Is that wrong? Is that unbiblical? No. And that's why... Modern translators continue to keep the sentence in the Bible. So when the King James Bible, the, the translators intentionally kept uh, that sentence in the King James Bible, and that because that Bible was so popular, it, it, you know, it impacted culture tremendously as modern translators determine whether or not to keep that sentence in, in modern translations. Some say yes, some say no. I bring all this up to say is like we should not fear being able to question the word of God. Not in its, uh, this to me, it's a testimony of what we have in our hands is true and that God has preserved it because we can go back in history and we can see from history, from the original texts, from copies of the texts, from authors and writings, from what they quote, you can very easily put piece together the entire word of God in, in its wholeness. And when things have been inserted, you can go into history and, and get a pretty clear idea of when things were inserted, why they were inserted, who inserted it. For this particular line, it started in the, in the manuscripts that we have, it started as a comment in the margin. 
And that comment, like we all write in our Bibles, right? That comment in the margin ended up finding its way into the text over time because somebody agreed with it. And because it's a true statement, they ran with it and it was inserted in there. However, you know, I'm not telling you to rip that sentence out of your Bible. I'm not telling you to rip that page out of your Bible. But I'm telling you that when you sit in the Word of God, you can sit and reason and ask these questions and, and sit in the scholarship if you really want to dig into those deep subject matters. But ultimately, like this, I'm using that as an example because our exhortation at the beginning of today was to test, was to be in our relationship with God to reason through with him and to reason through life, to reason through his word, through the perspective of his revealed and manifested love for us. And John is, the reason why he is writing this letter to this community is not because they don't know who God is, it's to remind them of who God is. To remind us, we all have, even within the body of Christ, there can come up opposing ideas, And just because somebody that we love says something doesn't mean that we need to stand in immediate agreement with it. We need to be able to have conversations. I need to be able to have a conversation with you. Blake, you said that today, and is is that really what the Bible says? I'm willing to have those conversations, just like I'm willing to, you know, and I'm willing to come to you. You know, wait a minute, is that really what God is telling us to do? And the emphasis the weight lands on John's final words where he's telling us to keep ourselves from idols. True joy, having that full meter of joy in our relationship with God is based upon having a right, true, loving, honest, uh, daily relationship with him. The reality is that all of us are idolaters in our core, who we are apart from God as we put things and people and ideas in God's place in our lives in a variety of, way, of ways, and we are told continually not to do that. God has done everything. He has given us everything that is necessary through his divine power that we can live his eternal life in love and in obedience abiding in him, in truth, in light. All these words that John used, he is encouraging us to be free from the idols that so easily grip our minds and and our hearts. And those can be religious, those can be political, those can be of the flesh. So thank you, John, for your direct declarations. All right, let's worship. Heavenly Father, we love you tremendously. As we sang a while ago, we adore you. And that adoration takes on different, it looks different in each of our lives. We have our different personalities. We have our different ways that we respond to you. Some of us, Lord, we're, we're in that imagery where we've just fall down on our fla- face and we're crying and we're washing your feet with our tears and that whole imagery that we get out of your word. And others, Lord, that's such a foreign concept that has nothing to do with their personality. So I'm asking that you would lead us in truth, Lord. 
Lead us in adoration for you. Whether it's in worship right now, singing, praising, playing instruments, whether it's thinking, sitting down, opening your word, reading it, and thinking about what we're reading as an act of adoration for you. Whether it's, Lord, as we interact with other human beings, show me how to adore you and my interactions with them. And Lord, I'm asking that you would give to each one of us a heart of hate for idols. Your word tells us about the things that you hate. One of those is pride. Lord, may I hate my pride as you hate it. May I submit my heart to you. May my heart be enveloped and consumed by your love so that all that I do will be an act of worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray.